Merry Christmas. So we have some of our kids and our families that are here uh, with us this morning. We have some people sick, so keep everyone in prayer. A lot of stuff is going around this season. But um, we are uh, doing the candle of love, right? Love. (laughs) And um, we're reading John 3, 16 and 17. So we have, hold on one second. Oh, I think I'm starting to need glasses. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, here we go. If anyone knows it, you can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Then verse 17 says, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him and his great love. So we have Eric is going to be lighting the candle. And we all want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Well, good job, kids. (laughs) At least that wasn't a real flame that and that candle that fell over. <laughs> uh, tonight will be different. Tonight we're going to have real candles. So please don't light this place on fire. Um, you can see there's so much wood here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hey, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas, as the kids said. This is, this is it, right? If you didn't do your Christmas shopping, you really only have a couple more days and it is going to be crazy. So uh, for those of you who know, I live like two, three houses over from the square one mall in Saugus. (laughs) So uh, I have no excuse. Yeah, I can walk there. But the problem is with driving. There's no way out of my driveway. Uh, Everybody decides at the last minute that's when they're going to shop. And so it'll, it'll be an interesting few days. Well, I am thrilled to be with you this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the theme of love to this morning, and then tonight, uh, we're going to look at, um, and we're going to light the candle, the Jesus candle, um, the final one. And um, this is going to be a two-parter this morning. I'm going to build off of uh, this morning's talk. Um, and I'm looking at uh, a particular character in a story that you would never see, probably just by looking at it, any connection to the theme of love. Uh, and it's entirely possible that I'm forcing the theme or forcing the connection. I have been known to do that. Uh, but uh, this story takes place in Luke chapter 1, and it's the story of Zechariah. And I love how Luke begins his, his gospel. Luke is a historian, but he's also a preacher. And he's apparently quite an educated man. The Greek that he uses is a very sophisticated Greek. I remember having to learn when I was in seminary, I was learning uh, Greek and I was doing great through the book of Mark and Matthew, not so bad. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm a, I'm a Greek reading, you know, whiz. <laughs> and, uh, and then we got to Luke and I was like, what? <laughs> He screwed me up. Uh, And so Luke is apparently an educated man. Some have uh, uh, believe he was a doctor. um, And um, 
Uh, and so he, he tends to be very particular. In fact, he's, uh, he, he's the one that, <clears throat> that uh, puts in some stories and some detail that others don't. Um, and so there's some interesting things about Luke. Uh, and so Luke, as he's designing and constructing his, um, his sermon, his story about Jesus, is he begins with Zechariah. And he does this interesting thing. Luke likes to compare and contrast. And a lot of the ways they taught in those days was to set up one story against another and let you figure out what he, what the author is doing. Because <clears throat> um, we all, because they knew that the best way to you uh, to get through into your house is not through the front door, but through the back door. And that's how comedy is also works is that comedy will deal with serious subjects. But have you ever noticed that when they're dealing with serious subjects, everybody's laughing and everybody's fine with it. It's because the straightest path is oftentimes the one that isn't straight through the front door, but kind of goes around behind into the back door and surprises you and catches you off guard. And, and that's a gift to all of us because uh, then we have these moments of clarity, these moments of insight. So Luke is doing this with Zechariah, and I'm hoping that you and I this morning can get some fresh insight around this theme of love and around the story of Zechariah. All right, so Zechariah begins, the story begins with, uh, he is, the, first of all, the setting. <clears throat> so I love the three parts that he uses here in good storytelling is he gives you the setting. He says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So you can imagine all the kids sitting around a campfire and he leans over and he goes, in the beginning, here's how it, here's the setting. Here's what happened. Um, and this man named Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So he's setting them up as like, even though king of Judea, who's the oppressor, and this is the setting all of us Jews were under, there is this couple and they come from good lineage, good stock. They are good people and a tradition of goodness that's been passed on to them. And uh, he begins next. The next section would be the main character. Who is he going to address? Both of them. And, and, and what, you know, what, what, what do we make of this character? You know, who are they? Are they good people, bad people? Well, he's already started to say they, they come from good stock. So are they going to be good people? And sure enough, he confirms that with both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Observing not some, but all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. All right, so you, you, you've got the setting under the suppressor. There's this couple there. He's a priest already. He's high above everybody else. And he comes from great stock, spiritual lineage, rich. And he himself is a fantastic human being along with his wife. But then there's a problem. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. This is a major problem in the ancient world. You don't have kids. There's a lot of problems. One is uh, if, you're, if you're a farmer, you're, you're not going to be able to survive. Right? That, that, those are your employees, your kids. Um, but for all, there was sort of a stigma around that. Why? 
Well, because if you came from this rich tradition, and most of the stories start, particularly Jewish stories, start with, these are my ancestors. It's not just me. I'm Joel, and I'm, you know, this, and I'm that. That's my identity. Their identity is not uh, me. Their identity is, is me as a part of the whole. This is what I belong to. I'm part of a lineage. I was doing this with my son the other day. I said, um, uh, there's a farm, Hubbard's Farm, up in uh, near Princeton, or maybe in Princeton, uh, Mass. And, um, and they raise, you know, uh, fre- everything's fresh, everything's organic. So it's, it's uh, my sister sometimes goes by there, picks up some meat, and, and she brought some home for us. And so AJ's like, uh, so, the, so there's a Hubbard's Farm? Said, yeah, it's all part of our family. We all, a lot of us are in that. There's even a town called Hubbardston. And it's all of our, our family and our ancestors and all that. And it was interesting to him, right? Because there's something in our soul that longs to be connected to something bigger than ourselves, a history, a lineage, right? That's why we do this Ancestry.com stuff. It's because it's just, we need to know. There's a need to know sometimes. What are, how am I connected? What is my history? Um, and so, um, and so, so this is their history and there's, there's a, they're coming from this, um, and they would want to continue this on through a child, right? That's the normal process for most of us is that we want to also have something passed on beyond us that lives beyond us, whether it's, it's our, a child or our work or something we've contributed to this world. We want to be able to continue on in that fashion. This is really important to us and to be able to do that. Um, means it's part of, you know, part of a good thing, a part of God's blessing. See, the thing is in the ancient mind, particularly this Jewish ancient mind uh, set, it was if you, if, if you couldn't continue, the, the way God would stop something, if there was a problem, like a sin, a major sin within your family lineage, the way God would stop that would be to end your, your line <laughs> there, because otherwise you're going to continue this darkness on to the next generation, right? So that's how it would end. So to the mindset of, of many of these folks, if you couldn't have children, maybe God was ending your lineage, was ending your line right there. And so Luke is saying, here's the thing. There's a problem, but it doesn't match up with anything we know about this character. Elizabeth and Zechariah are wonderful, godly people who obey all of God's commands and decrees. So this is what's started. This is what makes for a good story in the ancient world is like, what's going on here? There's a problem, right? Luke is describing this. And so, um, it, so, so this is what, so tracking now with this problem, this is, this is what tends to happen with us. When we have a problem that we've learned to live with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth had, because now they're very old and they've been doing their life for many, many years, and they've learned to live with the problem. What do you do when you have a problem that doesn't match up with anything rational? Like I, I, there's, I'm not the cause of it. It's something outside of, of my doing. It's something that's happened to me and I've tried to fix it, but I can't. What do you do when you have a problem like that in your life that's been ongoing for many years? At first you might pray about it. At first you might, you know, try to fix it, but then what do you do if you can't fix it? And if praying doesn't work, what do you do? Elizabeth and, 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 and Zechariah have been praying for a long time. What is it that you guys do? Talk to me. You accept it. Okay. What else? Ignore it. Ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, let's be real here a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> what else? What else do you do? 
Adopt. You adopt, okay. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that's an awesome. That's an awesome solution for today, and I believe in that one hundred percent. Okay, so so what else might you do in a situation like like Zechariah and Elizabeth? You, you've you've lost hope. There's no resolve to this problem. What do you do? How do you how do you go on? You can become bitter. Thank you. That's, that's truth right there. You can become bitter. Yes. Oftentimes, that's more true than not true. That there's a part of us that gets darker. We lose a little bit of hope. Not entirely. We lose a little bit of hope. Are you with me? Your soul darkens just a little bit. And if you have a series of these over time, you start to get darker and darker and cynicism sets in. And you begin to question the entire meaning of all things, meaning of life. I don't know. I can't project this on these people. I have no idea what they did with this problem. But one of the things that I have found to be true of all of us spiritually is that when there's a problem that we've learned to live with, God comes in and guess what God does? Nope. He doesn't restore. He makes the problem worse. <laughs> Think about the stories in the Bible. Think about the stories in the Bible. They all get worse before they get better. Israel, the nation of Israel, is in slavery to Egypt for how long? 400 years. Does God come in and go, let me make it better for you? No. God makes it worse for them. Because here's what happens. They're in slavery, and God sends Moses in to rescue them, right? Sounds like that's a rescue plan. Except what happens is that then Pharaoh gets really ticked off. And he says, now I'm going to make it even harder for you. You think it was hard before. I gave you at least straw to make your bricks. Now you're going to go have to find your own straw, and you still have to meet the same quota you had before of number of bricks you have to make every single day. So things get much harder, much harder. Oh, by the way, did he rescue them really? No, he sends them into the desert. And they're like, this is the master plan? You, you go, you, it's, it's, this, is, this, is the, this is what's weird about God. Like, you pray, you've learned to tolerate the problem. You're like, okay, fine, I can live with this problem. It's an okay problem. Think about all the movies. Aren't the movies sort of written that way? Right? There's, a, there's a problem that you sort of tolerated, and then things get really bad, right? because that's true to life. See, that's why the movies are written so well, oftentimes because they, they, they match your actual experience, your lived experience. And so you intuit that. Oh, oh yeah, I've been down that path. I know what that's like. It's getting worse. Oh, yeah. Right? It, it has to get worse, right? Things get worse. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. This is like Moses coming to Israel and saying, I'm going to rescue you guys out of Egypt. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be, okay, before I get there. Now I'm, so, so he gives him the good news. What, is, what does Zechariah do? Zechariah goes, huh, how can this be true since I am old? How can I know this will really happen since I'm old, right? And then the angel says to him, and now you will be silent and not able to speak 
until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Right? Come on now. Where's the grace in all of this? Like, geez, I'm 80 something years old. You're telling me I'm going to have a kid. You know, any other person would have had a little doubt too, you know, and this is how you treat me? Silence. Yeah. I've read this and I've, I've thought, okay, this is really hard for me because I just don't think that's fair treatment. All right. But I'm also not in Zechariah's shoes. I don't know, or sandals. I don't know what he would have thought. And I don't know what his story is. I don't know the context of all things. What I do know is that in my own life, there's the setting in which there's a problem, but I've learned to live with that problem and tolerate it. And it may have darkened a little bit of my soul, but I'm okay because I've figured out that I can at least survive. And then something happens to make it worse until there's this transformation that takes place in my life. And then when that transformation takes place, then I'm in a better place, right? So, that's so cute. I haven't heard that in a long time. My little, little AJ crying like that. Um, so, do you think about this for a moment? The punishment seems a little bit harsh, but let's just, let's just maybe surmise a little bit what might have been going on. It can imagine this being true for all of us that oftentimes the sort of discipline or the difficulty that comes in our life becomes a gift after a while. At first, it's not a gift. At first, we see it as definitely a curse. But then it turns out to be a gift if we allow it to do its work in us. Say, say Zechariah has been talking with the other priests and they've been trying to figure things out for a while. Why is Israel still under the oppression it's under? under? It, it, why is, are we restored to where we are? And there's all sorts of theories and they're pontificating and they're going on and on and on. But all the while, all their talk is doing is keeping them in that same place of the problem, the negativity, the darkness, and there's no hope. They're losing hope more and more and more. And so when the angel says to him, you see, the problem isn't that you just didn't believe. The problem is, is that your whole life, your whole way of being is that you've lost hope. And so I'm going to quiet you for a while. And the quieting, by the way, was not just that he wasn't able to speak. He was made deaf. That's not in there. But it's clear by the, by the fact that when he's asked, what is the name of your son going to be? They have to make signs to him to communicate. If he wasn't deaf, he would have been able to hear them and then written the name down, which is what he did. All right, so he's deaf. It's clear by, by, the, by that passage that he's, he's, he's not able to hear either. So you can imagine total silence, incapable of speaking and communicating and unable to hear, right? And in that silence, the only thing he could hear would have been his own thoughts and then the words that the angel spoke to him. He was forced into doing something that most of us men do not like doing. And that is pondering deeply. Now contrast that to the next chapter. 
which is exactly what Luke is doing. He contrasts Zechariah, same order of events to Mary. The angel appears to Mary. He says, you're going to have a child. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And then the angel says, well, it's going to happen this way. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will conceive. And what does she do? And she pondered all of these things in her heart. So may it be unto me as you have said. She's contrasted against Zechariah on a number of factors. One is she has faith, apparently, even though she asks a similar question and she is treated differently. Why? Because she's a different person. She's got different issues. She's got different circumstances. And the way God's going to deal with each one of us is going to be different, right? And so Zechariah doesn't ponder naturally, but now he's forced into pondering. And he has to think deeply about this. And maybe over time, that's what began to change his own soul. And so this is what happens, is that the end of chapter one, they made signs to his father. This is when Elizabeth is now has given birth. He made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. So how does this connect to love? (laughs) Well, so this last, this past week I had um, a a presentation I had to do for uh, a group that I'm in. um, And uh, this group is an online group and it's a, a video conferencing. That's how we connect. So that's the setting. So we're, we meet once a month and we have a conversation about a particular topic and there's someone who has um, to present on that topic. It was my turn. So I did my presentation. And um, then we wrap up, we close up, we each go our separate ways. Only a couple hours later, I get a phone call from my mentor. I mentors the whole group. And I thought, this can't be good. <laughs> it's a good thing I was on another call so I didn't have to answer. But I can't just let that go. So I called back immediately. And um, as soon as I was done with the call, well, we ended up talking the next day. And sure enough, she gave me some feedback and it wasn't very comfortable feedback. And all my defenses went up, (laughs) even though I know how to mask it. Uh, I think I do. I masked as best as I could and repressed most of my defenses. And, um, and since I've done a lot of work in self-awareness, I could pick up the, the moments where I was trying to sort of sell something or spin something or, and I just kept saying no to all of them, like, nope, 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 nope. But I was also able to be truthful and say, I actually don't know what, uh, what you mean by that. And it's not because I don't want to, I really do. I'm sure there's something there. Um, so we pushed back and forth. And uh, then I could see. And when I saw what it was that I, was, that I had missed in my presentation, I um, acknowledged it to her and thanked her and then shut the hell up because that's something that I don't do. Part of my way, my mechanism of getting through some difficult, discomforting situations is to overtalk. So I zipped it, said, thank you and then stayed silent. And it hurt like hell. It hurt. Man, did I want to say something. And then I hung up. 
And, uh, and it was a few hours later that I started feeling something arising up, like, an, like a deeper awareness. I started seeing things. And then the next morning, I had this overwhelming experience of the Holy Spirit on my way to, to church here, driving here for an appointment. I started crying as all of my, it was like everything was lighting up. All of a sudden, I could see so much. And I didn't feel anger for what was said. I felt nothing but love, overwhelming love. It was so powerful. I took my phone out. I began recording it. I said, I gotta, re- I gotta keep this. I re-listened to, to, listened to, to it this morning and I was like, I don't even know what I was saying. It was like, it's, like, it's definitely not something I'd want anybody else to hear, but it was stream of consciousness. You know, it was just like, I had to say it, you know, get, get it out there. But the thing that I found so remarkable is that how many times we get resistance, negative stuff that comes our way. Uh, our setting is that there's a certain problem that we've learned to tolerate, even maybe forget. It's maybe so deeply repressed, we have not even thought about it in a long time. And then things get harder for us. And what do we do? We defend ourselves. We protect ourselves. We avoid. We fight back. There's all sorts of techniques we use to not deal with what we're experiencing in the moment. Because what we see as, oh, and by the way, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't the Gabriel, the angel showing up to me to give me negative feedback. It was a human. And that human has personality. And some of it, what was, she was communicating to me, I could tell was her personality conflicting with mine. That's also true. But it was easy for me to chalk it all up to that being just simply that. Oh, you're just different than me. It's a personality issue. Just get over it. That would have been easy for me to do, but it wouldn't have been full truth. Because whenever you're triggered and something reacts in you, that's the moment of opportunity for you to grow and to transform and to become the better you, the better version of yourself. And I knew that. (laughs) And so as I stayed present to that, that's what began to happen. I began to see and if we stay present, I believe, to those kinds of things and begin to see the negative responses we sometimes get to ourselves as gifts, not as problems, but as opportunities. When the angel silenced Zechariah, what an incredible gift, because at the end, he rejoices overwhelmingly. And I could relate to that a couple days ago because that was the experience I had. It's this overwhelming sense of God within you. Uh, So all the stuff that tends to resist against us, the negativity, the situations that, that seem like problems, there's something in it. It's not that the situation's perfect. It's not that what the person said to you is perfect. In fact, sometimes it's really downright evil. But still, even in that, as evil as it can be, There's an opportunity. There's something being communicated to you. There's something happening to you. And if you can stay present to it, you will experience transformation. And fortunately, in my case, it's not transformation. What it was was enlightenment. That's a big difference. Became aware. (laughs) Now now the transformation is like, what are you going to do with it? (laughs) How how are you going to actually live that out now? 
So that's yet to be seen. I haven't transformed in this space. I've just had a moment of great awareness. I used to run around saying to people like, oh, I had this transformational experience. Wow, it was awesome. God showed me this. And it's like, no, 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 that's, and then people get tired of it, particularly Patty. She'd get tired of hearing me say that because it's like another one of these awarenesses, but it doesn't fundamentally change your behavior at home. Like that's where it really shows up. All right, so I still have to work it out. So there's going to be opportunities for me to work it out because there's going to be opportunities where I go back to my old way of being and it already happened. Two days later, it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's funny because she goes, Patty walks in uh, yesterday. She's, um, she gives me, she likes to give me a lot of details. Those of you who know Patty, she likes to give me a lot of details. So she comes in and she says, hey, she says, um, this and this and this and me and, and I did this and make sure you do this. And, and I just looked at her and I smiled and I said, I love you. And she goes, who the hell are you? And she walked out of the room. (laughs) She goes, you really wanted to say, why do I need to know all of that stuff? I said, yes, but I didn't respond that way. (laughs) So baby steps, exactly. Exactly. So I want to leave you with that thought, and that's it. Just that thought of... um, Noticing these, these opportunities, these difficulties, these um, hardships, and that they come through sometimes really ugly ways, right? But they're all opportunities. The entire thing is an opportunity for growth. And first comes the awareness. And then after the awareness, now you get to do the work. And the work may be gritting through your teeth and going, I love you, <laughs> you know? And then it becomes real and more real for you. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, because tonight I want to talk about expecting the unexpected, beginning to believe that the most amazing things can actually begin to happen to you on a regular basis.